Hello, hotelies. Welcome to Hotelies of the Hotel School, presented by Natalie Tan. I'm your hotelie host, Brady Jones. And on episode number two of this podcast, we feature a tremendously talented hotelie chef from California, Sean Koning. This podcast is best consumed under the warm Ithaca sun, so pop in some headphones, even if you still have wires on yours, and take a stroll through Ithaca as you listen to the show. Enjoy, everyone. And welcome to Hotelies of the Hotel School, presented by Natalie Tan. This is episode two, featuring Chef Sean Koning. We have a great interview with Sean later in the episode. He talks about working at the best restaurants in America under the most talented chefs in the world. He actually said his plan was to fly to France post high school and open up a three Michelin star restaurant. But Sean came to the hotel school and found this experience to be even better. So that's exciting. In the beginning of the episode, we have some good news, bad news from our leadership at Cornell that they wanted me to pass along to you via this podcast. So it's a great episode. You're not going to want to miss a second. And now a word from our sponsors. Hotelies of the Hotel School is proudly sponsored by Natalie Tan. Natalie Tan is an awesome hotelie who arguably has the most intelligence and hotelie pride of any hotelie in the hotel school per inch tall. You can follow her on Instagram at smallnat, nat with three T's. The whole thing is lowercase, no big letters, of course, in case your Instagram search bar is case sensitive. Natalie made a small donation of $1 to my Venmo with the memo for your podcast. Thus, she represents 100% of my sponsors and has earned naming rights to the show. Natalie has proven once again that something so small can have the biggest, most lasting impact. Thank you, Natalie. I'm Natalie Tan, and I approve this message. Yes, it's time to celebrate good times. Some great news coming from the office of President Martha Pollack as she announced she plans to hold in-person commencement in May. The good news does not stop there as it will be students only, so we just get to hang out with each other. So you can tell your father that he doesn't need to sweat through his favorite suit at Sholkoff and promise your mother you'll snap a pic in front of the Cornell clock tower for her and everyone's happy. I can't wait, guys. I'm excited. When you were eight and you had bad traits, you go to school and learn the golden rule. So why are you acting like a bloody fool? If you get hot, then you must get cool. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? And unfortunately, some bad news for bad boys coming from the office of Vice President Lombardi. Last week, Vice President Lombardi wanted to remind all Cornellians that cannabis use remains prohibited on campus despite New York State's legalization of the drug. As the self-proclaimed leader of Vice President Lombardi's anti-campus cannabis use task force, I've made it my mission to enforce this rule on campus. I was disappointed to find one cannabis user on campus who hadn't yet seen Vice President Lombardi's email who remarked that there was really no reason for him to come to campus anymore. 
very disappointing. But rules are rules, guys. And if me or anyone else that wants to join the task force finds you smoking dope on campus, we will roll up on you and smoke you down like one of those cannabis cigarettes you kids like to enjoy so much off campus. This campus is for learning, and the majority of us intend to keep it that way. So just ask yourself, people, is your smoke really worth the smoke from Ryan Lombardi? I think not. Thanks for your cooperation. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Cops is filmed on location with the men and women of law enforcement. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. And now, here's Sean Koenig. All right, and now joining us for episode two of Hotelies of the Hotel School, we have Chef Sean Koning, a man that needs no introduction because I would not be able to do him any justice. Sean, how are we doing? Excellent. How are you doing, Brady? I'm always well. Uh, you know, I feel pretty honored to get you, someone of your caliber, onto my podcast. I think um, as this podcast ages over the years, we're going to look back and, uh, you know, I feel very fortunate that I got you. So thanks for coming on. It's my pleasure. It's an honor. So my first question is, you're a chef. You're one of the best chefs I've ever seen anywhere, and I watch a ton of Food Network. So how did you get into cooking? Um, was it something you loved as a child, or was it something that you um, you know became passionate about later in your life? So it's a, it's a two-sided story. Um, growing up, I always loved playing baseball. Um, I was pretty good. Were you good? I was, I was. Um, what position? Pitcher. Nice. How hard do you throw? Not that hard. I threw sidearm. Um, you got you had a breaking ball. You got some movement on your pitches. Oh, of course, of course. But uh, no, I was I was playing in high school, and I was actually trying to get recruited to come here. And then sophomore year, I hurt my elbow pretty bad, and had to figure out plan B. Um, they told me I had to get Tommy John surgery and I wasn't going to get surgery. So plan B ended up being finding a job over the summer. And I happened to live right down the street from the Ritz Carlton in half Bay. And I realized that on weekends, I liked just cooking with my mom stuff at home. And I walked into the kitchen in the middle of dinner service on a Saturday night and told the chef that I want a job. <laughs> With no resume, no knife kit, you just I, walked in there I and put on a button down shirt. And at eight o'clock on a Saturday night, I walked into the restaurant and right up to the open kitchen and asked the chef for a job. And how old were you then? Let's see. I was 15 and a half. Just about. And so you started working full time in the Ritz Carlton kitchen. And so what were you doing in the Ritz Carlton kitchen? So I, I started off, they let me cut a couple pieces of fruit, like on weekends and stuff. Um, and then I liked it a lot. I, I started staying after my shift and working as many hours as I could. And I got good pretty quick. And I got promoted and they let me work my own station. And I made the right connections and worked my ass off and ended up here. That's an incredible story, but you've got a few of them. So you mentioned that you used to cook with your your mother. What kind of food would, would you eat as a family when you were growing up? Um, and were there other ways that you were able to practice your culinary skills outside of the kitchen? Oh, God, no. My family can't cook to save their life. Sister and dad hate food of all kinds. They just, I mean, they, they're they happy eating chips. Um, 
<laughs> my, my mom, she she likes eating good food. I think she does it more to kind of appease me rather than truthfully for her own enjoyment. But just like sitting outside with the dogs, grilling, I, I kind of liked doing stuff like that. So I thought that it could be a interesting avenue towards a career. Yeah, I'm sure you make a hell of a uh, chip recipe for your uh, sister and your dad. And I'm sure your mom's proud of you, too, for getting to Cornell and having the experiences that you had. We'll get into those in a little bit. So you work in the Ritz-Carlton Kitchen. What made you want to come to the hotel school? Honestly, my, I was dead set on the fact that after high school, I was going to get on a one-way flight to France. And I was going to open a three mission star restaurant. That was, that was it. That was the plan. And my mom, I'm very proud to hear that the, uh, the Cornell hotel school rivals taking a trip to France and opening up a three Michelin star restaurant. I'm glad you chose this path, but that one would have been exciting. You know, too. I am, I am glad I chose this path too, but you know how parents get in high school during the college admissions stuff. And, uh, my mom was doing all the research and she found that Cornell had this great school program. She was like, Hey, maybe you should apply here. It's perfect for, for your resume. And I ended up applying and getting in and showing in the fall. And it's been a very interesting experience for me because I had that same attitude as a freshman that, I was here to get a piece of paper and I was going to go open a three mission star restaurant afterwards. But my experience in the hotel school has really helped kind of change that mindset in a good way. What was your goal um, in the hotel school? You, you mentioned you wanted to open up a three Michelin star restaurant, um, but now you sort of want a new path. So what are your goals now? Um, how has the hotel school helps you grow that passion and that, uh, pursuit that you're well i think the biggest thing about it for me is the hotel school really broadened my horizons um in terms of all of these incredible things that we learn and our eyes are open to how can i use that to my benefit rather than to just go open up a restaurant because with our degree i mean for what we learn i i feel like i can do so much more than that yeah, I agree. And I think, um, I mean, you obviously have incredible culinary skills and culinary experience. But um, my question, I was going to ask you if you found it, you know, sort of frustrating that you had to take these other classes. But it seems like you found that these classes have enriched um, your experience and sort of helped you realize that um, you're capable of doing other things. Um, and that option of becoming a chef after school is always there uh, for you. There, there are some courses at the hotel school that I've taken and felt like it was just a straight up burden but over my four years i have enjoyed learning things that i didn't think i would from classes that i didn't think were important for for my career um yeah it's it's just been very very interesting and of course all the food and beverage classes amazing mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know I, I found the same thing too um you know it may not seem you know relevant when you're in the class, but I found a lot of times, you know, classes that, you know, I wasn't incredibly engaged in, you know, come back, you know, those concepts come, come out in jobs and, you know, in real life. And, you know, I found that extremely 
uh, beneficial too. So I want to talk about some of the culinary courses we have at Cornell. A lot of, you know, our culinary, our, you know, food ops, um, establishment, they're entry level in a lot of, in a lot of these classes. And we don't really get to dive in deep. We sort of have a broad overview of sort of the culinary. We just spend three hours in a lab once a week. Did you find that, um, the culinary classes at Cornell um, were beneficial to you? Or I know you were also a teaching assistant for a lot of these food and beverage courses before you had even taken the course. So did you find that um, the culinary experiences were too general or were you still able to extract some value out of those courses? In terms of establishment in culinary, I, to me personally, there, I, I didn't really learn a whole lot. I know a lot of my friends did. Um, well, you've also been a teacher yeah. there in those courses, being a you teaching assistant. You're there able you to there be is, an extension of that. I did learn, um, especially you know, you obviously like if you're going to become a, a chef, you know, you're going to have to yeah, teach. You know, you're one of the you're one of the best chefs in the world, and you're going to have a lot of people under you that you're going to have to train. And I feel like that's sort of something that um, was probably Absolutely. good for you, right? In uh, in establishment, working with the can be very frustrating at times, but also very rewarding. And learning how to kind of not temper my expectations, but work with people in a completely different way than I have in the past um, has been really great uh, for all facets of my life, honestly. So, yeah, I mean, I can speak for myself, and I know a lot of other students in the hotel school are pretty honored to get to share a kitchen with you yeah. and cook alongside you because you do have incredible experiences, and I've been mentioning it. I don't want to tease it too much. Um, so after you get to the hotel school, sort of talk about some of the internships you had over the summer because I'm looking at your LinkedIn here, and LinkedIn? you've worked in multiple – yes, okay. you, uh, I, um, I'm looking on here, and you've worked in mul multiple kitchens that have earned – three Michelin stars, the highest rating. And, you know, they're the most exclusive restaurants in the country. It's incredibly difficult to get a reservation. So sort of how did you get these internships and um, to just talk about them a little bit? So more. I, when I was at the Ritz, the executive chef there, French master chef, just like what you see on TV. I mean, it's hysterical for a 15-year-old. Um, his name was Xavier Solomon. And after he kind of saw how hard I was working, he gradually took me under his wing a little bit. And in a sense, I became his protege. And at the time, I didn't know the connections that he had, but that has absolutely been one of the best relationships I've ever made in my life. Um, he helped me. So after I was a sous chef at the Ritz, my senior year of high school, I decided I wanted to work at the French Laundry. After having worked at one place with no, fo no formal culinary training, I wanted to go work at the most prestigious restaurant in the world, arguably. Um, it's, yeah, it's literally the most prestigious restaurant in the world. Um, the late Anthony Bourdain called it the best restaurant in the world, period. Um, obviously, it's Chef Thomas Keller's restaurant, the only American chefs earned multiple Michelin stars at different restaurants. One of the best chefs in the world. And, you know, the French Laundry speaks for yeah, itself. So it turns out that, of course, Chef Xavier was very close friends with Thomas. So he made a phone call and 
I didn't even have to do a stage, and I found myself offered a summer position there. And, and the summer's, summer's the busy time. Uh, yeah, the they, uh, too, they have 46 seats uh, in their dining room. Um, but over the summer, they open up their patio because the Napa Valley is absolutely stunning during the spring and summer months. So it is a little bit busier. Um, but yeah, I, I found myself there for the summer and it was quite an incredible experience. And then through that, I, uh, got to know Thomas Keller pretty well personally. And he invited me to stay for the fall semester of my sophomore year and gave me an invitation to be in the United States Bokustor Komi competition and to train with the Team USA for the Bokustor coming up. So that was absolutely an experience I couldn't turn down. So, uh, the, Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. We do have uh, some freshman hotelies and uh, some people outside the hotel school listening to it. So talk about the... Um, so you did take some time off your sophomore year, you mentioned. So sort of explain um, to the, the people out here what what that competition was. So the was. Bacusta Or is essentially the Olympics for the culinary world. It's every two years in Lyon, France. Uh, every country nominates one of their best chefs over 26. And then they get what's called a comi, which is like a assistant chef. They have to be under 22. So... Naturally, there's very few people, at least in the U.S., that are of that age range that have the skills necessary to be able to offer the U.S. a chance at, at winning. And Thomas Keller is a president of the U.S. organization, and he was hoping that I would take the opportunity to do that. So he let me train with the current team and do the Comey competition. And it was just an incredible experience. But I tell you, that competition is five and a half hours of cooking. You have to do two different platters for 20 people. There is nothing harder I've ever had to do in my life. So what did you make for that? Uh, uh, I did a lamb dish. A lamb dish and a lamb platter for that with a couple different garnishes. But And how to it go? It came out well. It came out beautifully. Um, but I never want to eat lamb again after that. I was getting, they were sending lamb <laughs> to my house every other day. I never want to see it again. So you were sort of per perfecting uh, I spent your lamb recipe? I six months working on the same lamb recipe every day. Wow. You uh, probably have cooked more lamb than I've counted yeah. sheep before going I to mean, bed. We were cooking lamb out the wazoo in my house. And I was getting, I was working 13 days in two weeks so I would drive home from Napa on my one day off, spend all day cooking lamb. And then as soon as I was done with service at, you know, two in the morning at French Laundry, I'd sit there and start on my lamb. So so you did make a great connection. Uh, you mentioned with Thomas Keller at the French Laundry. Did he offer you any training? Because you mentioned that you had never had any formal culinary training. It was sort of all on the job. But did you um, did he give you that opportunity to sort of train you? No. I mean, training for me was... On the job at the Ritz. I mean, I was in high school working 65, 70 hours a week. Um, and I just learned 
as much as I could. I was going from kitchen to kitchen. I was working in fine dining, casual dining, banquets, garmage, just trying to soak up absolutely everything. And I, you know, I, Xavier would have never even offered me a role at the French Laundry um, or to reach out to Thomas unless he thought that I was ready. So I think the expectation was once I was there, it was, I knew enough that I was there for a reason. Mm-hmm. So was it difficult at the French Laundry being a young chef in an environment oh. where chefs would, chefs would kill uh, to have this position? They worked their whole lives and they, it, there's only, you know, so many spots so, open. How did you deal yeah, with that? I didn't, I didn't realize apparently for the majority of people who go to work at the French Laundry, there's like a year long waiting list and you have to fly out and do a stage, which is like a tryout um, for a couple days. And then they let you know if they have a position open and if you got the position. And I was just offered a, a job. I, I didn't have to do any of that. And I was treated poorly. <laughs> um, people, people didn't like the fact that there was somebody, because I was 18 at the time. They didn't, they didn't like the fact that there was someone so young in the kitchen. Um, yeah, I mean, that's completely understandable. And also, I feel like it comes with the industry a little bit, too. Chefs are typically known to have a, uh, a little bit of a temper and sort of um, speak to each other aggressively. Um, I feel like it comes with the territory, but that obviously seems like a diff difficult but extremely fortunate position you were in. But it sounds like you learned a lot, and um, that experience helped you grow a ton as a chef as well. Very much so. Nice. And then you did, um, the next summer, you uh, worked another internship at another yes. restaurant that earned three Michelin stars, yes. correct? So that was at Atelier Crin in San Francisco. Uh, they had just gotten, what was it, 12th best restaurant in the world about two weeks before I showed up. I was thinking about what I wanted to do that summer, and I was on a phone call with Thomas Keller, actually. And he said, well, you're always welcome back here, but... Have you thought about maybe going to work with Dominique? And I said, you mean Dominique Kren? And and for those that don't know out there, Dominique Kren has been called the best yeah, female chef she, in the world. She won that award, the world's 50 best restaurants. But beyond being a great chef, I mean, she is just an incredibly influential person. The you know service work that she does and for charities – for for good causes i mean she for the covid shutdown she invested every penny that she had in her restaurants to help feed people during that time yeah i saw somewhere that uh i think dominique Cren was doing to go for like 38 dollars at a restaurant that is usually upwards of you know it's at least 350 ahead yeah. correct i mean and that's a very interesting thing about covid though is a lot of Mission Star restaurants had to sit there and say, okay, you know, we can't charge $350 a person to put food in a box and have them take it home. Yeah, the experience is what you're really going for. Yeah, but no, that was, it was a very different experience for me because French Laundry was, uh, I mean, a true French staple kitchen. Everyone yelled, swore at each other in French. People were kind of brutes in the kitchen 
Atelier was very, the team was a family. And I had never experienced that before in my culinary career. And I mean, even on my first day, everyone was just so nice, offered to help me with anything and everything, show me around. I couldn't believe it. Like I was walking around laughing. Um, but that, that was a very different experience that also focused more on kind of the elegance and the beauty of the experience. It's supposed to be a poetic experience. Yeah, so correct? she, one of the things she's famous for is you don't get a menu, you get a poem. She writes a poem for the current menu. So you have really no idea what you're eating, but the course comes out and then you read the line of the poem and you're like, wow, that's incredible. Just a complete sensory experience. A hundred percent. So you did work at two different restaurants with two different styles. How would you describe your personal cooking style? I think it's a mix kind of between the two. Um, growing up in San Francisco, I had access to Northern California produce, which is unrivaled in anywhere in the U.S. Um, so, you know, even at, at the Ritz, I was classically trained in, in French cooking, but Atelier Crenn really opened up another path for me for cooking in terms of what happens in the front of house and when you're sitting down as a guest, what you see is equally as important as what you eat. So I would mm -hmm. say that my, my style is French, but I, I like the farm aspect quite a bit from, from California and incorporating that into an incredible front of the house experience is very important to me. That's awesome. So are there any restaurants you found in Ithaca that you've enjoyed? We all mean, it's obviously more difficult in the supply chain to get good produce here. I know you cooking in your apartment, you're working on a kitchenette, you know, it's things are more difficult in college, obviously, but are there any restaurants you enjoy around here? I'll give you a couple. Uh, it would be a shame to not call out my number one favorite, the tasty hot pot, hot take. I'm going to get a lot of text after people hear this. They have one dish. It's called smoke walk chicken. It is one of the best Asian dishes I've ever had. I would expect a uh, surge of people at that restaurant ordering that dish this week. We might have to get some sort of revenue share Very from that good. restaurant. It is because incredible. Of Spicy, but awesome. Um, Hazelnut kitchen's interesting. I've, I've been. Um, Do you like any fast food? What's your favorite fast food? In ooh, favorite fast food. Probably Five Guys. I'm a, I'm a big Five Guys guy. Five Guys yeah. is money. So <clears throat> you did mention that you had this plan of opening your own three Michelin star restaurant, but you've, the hotel school has opened uh, you know, so many doors for you. What's your plans for after school? Do you know yet? You are taking 28 credits because of the, um, the break you took sophomore year for the competition. Did you say, so did you say 28? I know you're, I said 28. I was trying to pump your tires a little bit, but it is 20, yeah. 22, right? 22. 21? Yeah, so it's obviously difficult to think about what you want to do after school when you have to deal with that kind of coursework. But have you put any thought so into that? So something that's always really interested me, and of course I can, you know, I can go work in, in the kitchen if I want, but something that's interested me for quite a while was I had a, a very good friend that I met from the Ritz who – left is the executive sous chef and went to open Oracle arena, the warriors stadium when it, or chase center, excuse me, uh, when it just opened. 
couple of years ago and he was the food and beverage director and he was responsible for curating all of the food and beverage outlets in the entire arena. And so he had to sit there and concept, okay, what is our, our staple going to be? You know, what's our staple drink going to be? And he let me tag along with him and work on a couple projects for that. That was very, so something along the lines of concept development and recipe development is something interesting. And then maybe a couple of years down the line, uh, me and a buddy of mine have a business idea that we might want to sing into a little bit. So I'm sure it'll work out well for you, Sean. You, you're an incredible chef. You're an incredible mind. Um, just want to wrap this up. Um, you know, thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, any last words from you? I don't think so. I'd say, you know what, you know what I will say, All right. make sure that even if you're not comfortable cooking, or not comfortable with with food and beverage so much. If you're in the hotel school, even if you're not, try to take at least one food or beverage related elective because it is one of the core things that I've seen in the hotel school that for absolutely any student, regardless of what career field you go into, it'll absolutely be a life skill that you will use forever. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I guess we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, since we're talking hotel school. What are some of those courses um, at Cornell that you found uh, extremely enjoyable and beneficial? Are there any professors? Uh, I know you, being a TA, you make some pretty good connections with professors. Any courses or professors that um, have made an impact on um, you? Beers with Professor Miller. I love Professor Miller. Uh, he's a good friend and... His any class with him is truly incredible. Same with Professor Cheryl Stanley, beverage management, mm -hmm. incredible course. Um, I've been waiting to take it for three and a half semesters, and now I finally can, and I don't have to TA for it, and then it's great. I, I really enjoy it. Um, wines, the big wines course with Professor Stanley. If you can, try to take it in person, not during Zoom and COVID. Uh, that's a very cool course. The level mm -hmm. that was your ta for that you course. were that's right that's right we had a okay. yeah yeah professor stanley's awesome but uh no the level of guest speakers in that course is unreal um yeah i'd say those two um another interesting one that's not food and beverage related was uh luxury marketing with professor latour very interesting course it's great to hear all right, Sean, I don't have any more questions. Um, I got friends calling my phone, so I'm going to go hang out with some hotelies. I'll see what you're up to later, but it was a pleasure having you on, yeah, man. Thanks, thanks for, for having being me. Here. I'll be ready. And that was Chef Sean Koning. If you made it this far in the podcast, I want to say thank you for all the support you've given to hotelies of the hotel school. I've met so many awesome people in my last four years and had so much fun with you guys. So many people I want to get on the podcast, and I'll do my best to do it. But I also want to make the most of the, our last few weeks here. So if you're vaccinated, let's get together and celebrate good times. Thanks for listening, everyone.
Let's all celebrate and have a good time. 